0: Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. Just a heads up as you listen to this message, the audio sounds a little rough at the beginning because of a difficulty we had. However, it gets better after a minute or two, so hang in there. If you couldn't be with us this week, we hope to see you next Sunday at 10 a.m. for corporate worship. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Good morning, Glad to be here. him or uh, heard him briefly. Come back next week. He'll be here, so you can hear him then. Uh, I was, Lou and I were scheduled to go. This is my oldest. He was five, and he is super excited about camping, but I don't think that he really is. <laughs> so my, uh, we were trying to decide what we were going. I was starting to rain, and like it was his light and his nightlight light goes out. He panicked. It's, it's a life altering adventure. And most us we're out in the woods where wolves.
1: I didn't think he would actually
0: really like that. So I, I made an executive decision for our family, and we did not, he and I did not go away. We could another time when he's older and, uh, and follow the rules. And so um, we are, we are glad to be here uh, this morning, and we are in the book of James. You can flip over to James chapter 2. If you've got your Bible there or, to or have a or have word that you use, use to uh, read the Word of God, James chapter too. We've been working with James for a little while now, I think we're in five or six weeks here um, uh, now, and so we're looking at this awesome book, it's a fantastic book, especially right now, because James is the brother of Jesus, and if you don't know what James is doing, he's writing this letter to a group of people that are scattered everywhere, they are under a lot of pressure. They're, they are feeling, they are in persecution, uh, they are away from their church body that they knew. So they're kind of figuring things out, and they're scattered abroad, and, huh, Mike, is it not on? Are we good now? Oh, my goodness, listen to that. All right, I'll start over. My name, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) For the internet, I'll start over. Sorry, internet. It's my fault, internet. All right, so, anyway, James is, James, half-brother Jesus, he is writing to this church Uh, that is scattered abroad. So he's writing to a lot of people who are, who are feeling it, man. They're feeling this persecution. This is, this is stuff we've not faced uh, really in this country, uh, maybe coming. Uh, it kind of feels like it more and more. Uh, but it, he's writing to these people, and, and they're, 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 they're all over, and they're, they're without a church. And let me tell you, James knows that's a very dangerous place to be. Isolated Christians, it's a very dangerous thing. Away from community, it's a very dangerous thing. So he's writing this letter, and this is why it has this tone to it. It has a very aggressive tone, almost a a heavy tone at times, is because he's he's trying to get it out quick. He's trying to get them to the point, and here's what you need. I think it's partly just his personality as well. He's just kind of a a a heavy-handed guy, and so this this letter is is written or is out there because these people have been forced into this situation where they are isolated from the church. I think that's why it's pretty important that we look at this letter right now. Uh, there was a time there in our country where we were kind of isolated a little bit from the church, and uh, we, had, we, had to, we had to close the doors for a little while, and and, uh, and even still, people are, are, are still maybe even choosing that for themselves, and that's, that's, that is completely uh, up to them. That's, that, that's what needs to be done. That's, you know, for health and things like that, we completely understand. But it is, it is a hard thing to be an isolated Christian. It's very hard. To be away from a church that's praying for you and knows what's going on, to, being, to, to removing yourself from the word of God corporately, it's important that we listen to it corporately. It connects us. It binds us. It, it, it makes us go together. So James is, is, is realizing that this time in these people's lives, it really does start to prove what is real and what isn't real, namely their faith. This is a pretty aggressive passage we're in today. It it too has a heavy feel to it uh, because there's something that James helps us to understand here. It's a very important truth, and it's this. Faith alone saves us. Most Christians would nod at that, but it is a faith of a certain kind. Faith of a certain kind. There are different kinds of faith. One of them saves you. The others do not. And so, faith, uh, there, there is a faith that does not prove or does not provide salvation, but it talks a good game. We're going to see that today. He's going to make this argument because he knows one thing is true that when people do get isolated or people choose to remove themselves from a community, a, a, a faith community, a church, one thing that starts to happen is that faith starts to crumble a little bit. And maybe what's left is there was never any faith at all. That's a very aggressive passage today. We're going to look at it. It's very, um, a very controversial passage. Actually, it is one of those that people argue about, and, and especially one verse in here because it seems to contradict. it. we're going to talk about it today and look at that. But this, this whole thing kind of reminds me of the movie. you ever, you ever seen the movie um, uh, Catch Me If You Can uh, with Tom Hanks? and Leonardo DiCaprio, it's a, it's a movie about a guy who, uh, it's a true story supposedly, uh, about a guy who, who was a con man at, at a very young age, was able to, to con his way through some forging checks and things like that, even conned his way into becoming a pilot. Always makes me nervous when flying, like is this guy a con artist? He's just flying my plane. And so he, he conned his way in, and it's a, pretty, it's a pretty good movie in the sense that like they could, the FBI could never catch this guy. He was always moving around. He was always figuring it out. He's just smart, and he was able to do these things. And one thing that he had, he talked the part, he looked the part, so that, that helped. But one thing he also did was he was able to look and see what other people needed to see in order to believe. So that there's people that are able to, to see what other people want to see, in order for them to believe them. Smart, he could read the room. In reality, though, he was nothing. He wasn't a pilot. He just needed you to see that he was. And that was enough. That was enough to operate. That was enough to function. But in reality, he was nothing. And we're going to look at today. That's exactly where James is going to land with us today. He is talking about the exact same thing. We will tread a little light on these controversial things just to to, to move along here. But but there are some things to be read. There are some conversations that need to be had about James too in this passage. And so, ask questions. That's fine. Maybe not right now because that's that'd make it hard. But we can ask questions later, uh, but, but, but it's good. So let's read it. Ready? James 2, verse 14 is where we're going to be, and it says this. What, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is cl- uh, without clothes and daily food. And if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. But even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Uh, that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So this is where we're gonna be today. This one kind of feels heavy because automatically this text makes you feel like you need to be doing something, right? Automatically, there's that tension. That, like, my inner legalist is getting all excited. Give me my list. I need a list to go, to go by so I can show I'm, I'm, I'm righteous. I can check off this, and I can check off this, and I can check off this, and I can show you, and I can say that I'm righteous. I need something that, 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 that says I'm spiritual because I don't want to be dead, right? I don't want to be spiritually dead, so let me show you this. And let me tell you what James is not saying. He's not saying that you have to work to be saved. It feels like it a little bit if you read it in a certain way, but that's not because at the end of the day, if he were saying that, then the cross is pointless. His half-brother's death on the cross was a waste of time. If I can work my way into God's good graces, I don't need Jesus to do that. And so he can't be saying that. He would be leading people astray if he said that I could make myself acceptable to God. You can't clean yourselves up. I can't clean myself up. I can't make myself acceptable to God. God has to do that. Jonathan Edwards said this. He said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That's all you bring to the table. Amen, go on. You can leave today. That's a good thought. So it's a heavy thought. You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. James is not saying that you need works to be saved, but that true faith will always produce a life that works. That's why this series is called A Faith That Works. So let's define these words very quickly, faith and works. For our purposes today, we need to look at them a little bit. Faith is this, faith trusts and obeys God. Faith trusts and obeys God. The word literally means to to, to put weight on that I put the weight of my life on to this so much so that I trust it wholeheartedly. Much like you're doing to the pew, or I would do to a stool or a chair. You're putting the full weight of your life on that. You just sit right down. And that's exactly what it's saying. We put the full weight of our life in God and then We obey him for that, because if I'm going to put the weight of my life in that God can save me, my biggest problem is my sin, and so if I put the weight of my life that God can change that, he can take that, he can remove it from my life, then I can trust him with everything else, so why wouldn't I obey him? That's where James is kind of coming from. So that's faith. Works is this. Works is loving God and loving others. Now, love, you may get confused by that word because our, our, uh, our society and our culture get confused by the word love. When we look at the word love in the Bible, love is never uh, pictured as a feeling or pictured as a, you know, you know butterflies or w- w- whatever it is you may think it is. Just birds chirping. I don't, I don't know what people think about when they think about love. You can tell I'm a real romantic guy. Um, what we're thinking about here is that um, love is always Service. It's always sacrifice. When Jesus talked about it, typically he'd, always, he'd already done something. So faith, love, it does. It does something. Right? It's a chief thing we need to understand in relationships, right? If I say I love you, that doesn't just mean I have warm feelings and butterflies. It means that I'm going to serve you. That's why my vow said for better, or for worse, for richer, or for poorer. No matter what, man, I'm in this game. That's love, and so that's, that. understand, when we're saying this, that we love, we want to serve, we want to work, we love, we want to serve, we want to want others. That's what we're, that's what we're leaning into today. This, this will be imperfect. Please don't say we're, we're looking for perfection here, because, I mean, this week, how have you guys done? Have you loved God and loved others perfectly today? No, not everybody, not everybody's hand went up at once. Did you love God and love others this week, today? Me neither. I struggled, man. We're already imperfectly did this. We imperfectly can't do this. And so James is not saying that we have to have works or you're not saved in that, in that sense that you have to work your way to God. It has to do with the fact that, that I will struggle in the right way, always trying to strive Always trying to, to struggle in the right way, in the right direction. It's an ongoing struggle toward God, toward others. In fact, you're going to see this in this passage. So let's just, just, let's just jump right into it so that, we're, so that we're going and we're on time. The first thing I want you to see is a faith without works is useless. A faith without works is useless. James says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food if one person of you or if one of you says to them go in peace keep warm and well fed and does nothing about their physical needs what good is it not just the action but the faith behind the action In the same way faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action is dead it's dead. James gets very, very practical here. And he shows us what faith should look like. Uh, it's a very easy scenario to understand. This is, not a, this is not a brain buster here. If somebody were to walk in these doors and they... Um, they, they, apparently they look like they've not eaten in days They are wearing apparently the clothes Only clothes that they have That's what he means by, by, by that they only, That's the only clothes they have They have no clothes in a drawer at home No clothes uh, 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 in a closet or anything like that And when the service is over We pat them on the back And we tell them Have a good day Hope you have a good lunch Looking good and we walk away, realizing what's going on, but no, that's ridiculous. We find him food, we find him clothes, we figure it out. So he said this is a, this is a, very, easy, this is a very easy scenario. Well, James, I believe, once, once, he, once he resolved to follow Jesus, I think that he hung on everything that Jesus had said to that point, like I, I think he followed Jesus after he had risen from the dead, he needed something catastrophic in his life and that, that thing that was catastrophic was the resurrection of Jesus Christ it seems in the scriptures and it changed his life. That, that He was his brother and he did not follow us what the scriptures tell us, but then when, when Jesus rose from the dead, something dramatically changed in his life and he realized, whoa, it's a game changer. And so I think from then on, He wanted to know, what did did he teach? And he's probably trying to remember in his own experiences, he's probably asking the other guys, what what, what did he teach? Because there's one thing that you'll find in the book of James is that he often mirrors almost exactly Jesus' teachings. He mirrors them. He uses examples that Jesus uh, talked about. And so there's a section in Matthew chapter 25 that um that it's actually, it's kind of lengthy, but it's very good, and it helps us to understand kind of where he's coming from because Jesus is teaching something very, very important. So let me read it to you real quick. In, 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 uh, in Matthew chapter 25 and verse, uh, we'll begin in 31. He says this. When the Son of Man comes in, glory, in his glory and all the angels with him, he will, uh, he will sit on the glory, his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will, be separate, uh, he will separate the people one from another, as shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, Come, who, who, uh, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you is the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did, when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we... See you sick or in prison and go visit you. And the king will reply, Truly, I will tell you, whenever you did this uh, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I, was, I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you thirsty, or hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger needing clothes, or, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, whenever you did not do it for the least of these you did not do it for me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to enter eternal life. It's heavy. So James obviously heard this or had it relayed to him, this teaching of Jesus, and, 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 and that's, what's, that's what's driving probably this section of the book right here. That, that, that Jesus is saying, man, there's works t- attached to righteousness, right? Right? A righteous life works. You don't have to work for a righteous life. A righteous life works. It changes you, man. It makes you different. Kayla can attest to this because it has been one of the things in our marriage and in, in my life. It's actually been there before she and I uh, dated and got married, but, but there was one thing that she learned right away. I don't know why. I, don't, I feel like I'm not an approachable dude. But for whatever reason, maybe it's bald. I don't know. People don't fear me. And so they walk up to me often and will ask me for something, and I never say no. Don't get any ideas. I don't got much, but don't. I, uh, and so, like, this is a frequent thing in our lives. And, and she, she has gone with me to, to places. When, when I was at a church in Tennessee, I got called, and there was a guy who needed some help. And I drove about 30 minutes away to go help this guy. And he was mean, and he was hateful, uh, uh, even about it. But I we, we did it, and, and there's been other situations that have come along, and, and I, I I can't say no, and it, it's even happened here where I've called her and I, I've told the people on the phone at, at the church. A lot of people call the church, and and and, and we've all had to help them, and and so I, I I call I tell those people. Let me call my wife, make sure we're good. I don't want to bounce and put myself in trouble, and so I call her and say, Hey, these people need groceries. These people need something, so I call and we we figure it out. One of those things that drives me in that is this passage. Also, Hebrews 13:20 talks about we, that we um, we're in, sometimes in the presence of angels and we don't even know it when they have needs we don't even know it that that they're not really people. Isn't that weird? And so that, that's my argument for people that may say like, well, if I give them something, how do I know they're going to spend it on that? How don't know. They're not going to spend it on something else. And my deal is that I don't care what they spend it on. I don't care. I'm responsible for me, not them. I'm responsible for how I go about my business as a redeemed person. I'm not responsible for them. And so this is is one of those passages that drives me in that. It, 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 It filters my conscience that I have a hard time saying no because I see them as people that God has not by accident thrown there, but on purpose has put them in my way. And how I respond to that is exactly this passage. That when I face him one day, he's gonna be like, dude, you didn't help me. And I'm gonna say, like, I didn't know. And he's like, how could you not know they said I needed help? It drives me. I don't wanna be there. I don't wanna be embarrassed at the throne of God. I don't wanna be shameful at the throne of God in in, in that moment. I I don't wanna be there. So this is one of those things that drive me. And it's a weird thing. Because James is telling us that our salvation, when it started, it put us on a journey where when we start to love God, and we, and we want to love God, and that, that results because God loves people, that results in us needing to love people. Because I want to be like my God. I want to be like the one who's the greatest. Why would I not want to be like the greatest? Right. As a kid, I wanted to be like Michael Jordan. Right. It was hard for me. Uh, I was lacking in some areas, but that's who I wanted to be like. So the best I could do was just stick my tongue out when I played basketball. I was as close as I could get to Michael Jordan. But I wanted to be like the greatest, man. Why would I want to be like anybody else? That uh, it makes, it makes sense. And so I, I want to be like God. God loves people. And Here's what's crazy about salvation. The more you love God and fall in love with God, the more you're going to fall in love with people. And here's what's crazy. The more you fall in love with people, the more you'll fall in love with God, and the more you'll love people. And the more you love people, the more you'll fall in love with God. We can do this all day, baby. And so th- this is... This is how it goes. This is how salvation goes. It is a struggle in the right direction. And it's a struggle because I'll I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll let you on a little secret. Ready? Some people are just, they're awful. Right? There are people I don't like. Shocker, right? It's tough. Some people are very difficult. It's hard. It's a struggle in the right direction. I've not always responded properly. Believe me. And so it's a struggle in the, in the right direction. So uh, moving forward in our text, let's, let, let's look at one more thing. It's this. A faith without works cannot save. A faith without works cannot save. James says this in chapter 2, verse 18. He says this. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. There's a couple of things we need to look here uh, uh, under this. Uh, to, to, to begin, it's this. And the first thing is this, that it needs to be provable. Your faith needs to be provable. That's where he's kind of leaning into. Our, our faith needs to be provable. James introduces a, another person here. That, that's, a, that's a way of argument. Uh, in, in the old, uh, in the ancient mindset, he, he introducing uh, a tension, introducing a situation, perhaps for argument's sake. Or, I mean, James might have had somebody in mind. James might have had somebody in mind that, 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 that's specific, that he's thinking about, that, that that's there. And so, I mean, he may just be like, you know, they may have known, instead of just being like, all right, JoJo, he just kind of introduces this tension like it's this thing. So there's this tension of this person and he presents this argument and the argument is 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 interesting because he's, he's, he says there's some of those say you have faith and i have deeds so I, I i have just a belief in god i have a belief in salvation they're both arguing from the same point of view they are they're, they're both saved and they're, and they're and they're leaning into this but james is saying yeah but i need to see it show me how, how do i see that how how do i believe what you're saying and he just said, no, I just believe, just because I'm saying it. That's how you, that's how you know. And James like, no, 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 I need to see it, though. Point to something. Point to something. He says, I, I am. I'm pointing to my words. I'm saying it. And James was like, no, 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 no. What? How, how do you know yourself? How, how do we know this? And this is exactly where it reminds us of James chapter 1 and verse uh, around 22. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, right? Don't just Hear the word, do it. How do you know you heard it? You do it. That's how you know you heard it, you do it, right? That that works with kids, right? How do I know my kid heard me? Take the toys, get them out of my feet, right? I'm tired of tapping, I'm stepping on Legos. I am sick of it. Pick up the Legos or they're going in the trash. How do I know they heard me? They pick up the Legos. They choose not to do it, that's on them. We throw them in the trash. This is, this is exactly how it works in this, too. The, the person who hears, it, it's not a person that just says they hear. And so in this situation, in this topic here, it's not just the person who hears, but it's the person who says. If they're just saying it, no, I need to see it. There's people in this world. Shoot, there's probably people in this room who probably would tell you all about the Bible Every little nuance or historical fact, and they, they, they know all the stuff about the Bible. They know, they know all the stuff, man, even the stuff that, 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 that's not even in there. They know it. They're pointing at something else, and they're, they're saying, well, if you look at it this way and all this, and da, 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 but they're crusty, and they're mean. Right, you know those people? I know them who know a ton about the Bible, and they're mean about it. They're people like that. They they, they treat the Bible kind of like, uh, you know at the carnival, that one game where the alligators come out and they give you that little bopper and the alligators come out and you slap them on the nose and there's like they're coming out all over and you slap them on the nose, you get points for that. That's how they treat the Bible. Slapping people across the head with it, man. This is it, this is it. And they're mean about it. They're mean about it. They're difficult. And that leads us to believe that there's no truth really in them. They're just using the Bible They believe it, but there's nothing else that says there. It's as if we take a chair, and we grab a chair. I don't know if I'm going to mess this up or not. Oh, I'll mess that one up for sure. We'll grab this one. So if we take a chair, and we put it right here, and this is the argument they're having. There's a guy here, and a guy here, and this guy's saying, that's a great chair. It would hold me. That's awesome. Look at metal. That's a good chair. And the other guy's saying, well, then have a seat. Sit down. The guy's like, no, nah, man, I got issues with chairs. It goes a long way back. <laughs> it's a whole thing. I don't want to get into it. But it's a great chair. It would hold me. I have no doubts this bad boy would hold me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, then sit down. If it's a chair, sit down. Have a seat in the chair. Sit down in the chair. This is where he's going, but instead of the chair... Let's pretend it's Jesus. And they know everything about Jesus, but it, it does nothing in their life. They're not afraid to come, and he talks about that in chapter one. They're not afraid to come and listen, they're not afraid to come and hear. They're not afraid to come every day, every church service, listen to the word of God, but they don't actually do anything. And James is arguing I don't know if that faith is real, they won't actually sit in the chair. Sit in the chair, if it's real. Have a seat. That's the argument here. And James finishes this section with this. He says that, that even the demons believe. He says they believe there's one God. Demons have better theology than, than, than most people, than most pastors. Pastors. They have phenomenal theology all through scripture. You see them dealing with, with Jesus and they know him. Even when he's not there, there's a section in the book of Acts where, 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 where a guy walks up and tries to, he, he's, he's a con artist, he's trying to use Jesus' name because he thinks there's some kind of, uh, it's like a hook, he can just use that name and, and, and cast out demons and get money for it and it doesn't work. And the demons actually say, Jesus, we know. And the word there is like know him Intimately. And then he also used the word Paul. He said that Paul, who, who, who Paul knows, I, I want you to go out in the name of Paul, in the name of Jesus. And they said, we've heard of Paul, which is a whole other sermon. The fact that demons know our names is a whole other sermon. And, and he says, well, Paul we've heard of. And then the demon says this, but who are you? And then he, he beats him up. The demon just wears him out. In fact, it says that he wears him out so much so that he like has no clothes. Like he Beat the pants off! Have you ever heard that line? He beat the pants off of him, and so like that's how you know. Like if you want to know if you lost a fight or not, like if you went into the fight with pants on and you come out with pants off, you done lost. And so that that's a, that that's what we're leading. That demons know, man. They know God. He says they know, but good because they believe and they shudder. They're they're afraid of that fact. Every time we see Jesus confront a demon, there's no argument. They leave, and guess what? They know Jesus, they know God, they know the history that we don't know. They know what went on in heaven. They know what went on the day they got kicked out of heaven. They know all of that. They know everything about God. They know the scriptures. They know that we see the devil interacting with Jesus, and he is using scripture to interact with Jesus, to try to get Jesus to do something. They know it, and they are not Saved. You can know all about the Bible and not be saved. That's scary, man. He says this at the end. James 2.20 says, you foolish person. And he says, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Let me show you. And so the second thing there, we have faith without uh, works cannot save. It needs to be provable. The second thing, it needs to be shown. It needs to be shown. Let's keep reading. He says this. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what uh, he did when he offered Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was, a, it was credited to him for righteousness. And he was called God's friend. And you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and, oh, there we go, not by faith alone. That's, that's one of the key problems is this text right here. Not by faith alone. That's one of the key tensions in this in this. Uh, a controversial thing. Verse 25 says, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So we get two illustrations here. He's gonna show them. Let me give you two illustrations, he says. Let me show you. He's writing to Jewish people so they would have grown up, they would have known the Shema, as they call it. They would have known the Torah. They would have known all of these things. So they would have known absolutely Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. You all know this song? I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. right on, All together now. No, okay. Um, if you don't know that song, good for you. you. You probably didn't grow up in church or didn't grow up in a hokey church. Uh, I know that song, unfortunately, all too well. That was one of my favorites as a kid. And it's a song about Abraham, and you sing it, and you do all kinds of movements to it. And there's this song. So they use Abraham. We kind of expect that, man. It's It's a thing. So Abraham was a great example of what James is about to argue. But then he shifts gears a little bit, and he brings up Rahab, the prostitute. Do you all know the Rahab prostitute song? It goes like this. No, there's no Rahab the prostitute song, right? There's no song about Rahab. But she is perfect for the argument too. In fact, this is where he's showing you, just like last week as we looked at favoritism, this week there was this juxtaposition of rich and poor, and he does that all through this book, these these, these pitting things against one another. And so we get Abraham, the hero, but then we get Rahab, almost this juxtaposition of people. So, so that he covers all of his bases. And so they, 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 they seem, they, they, they couldn't be more opposite on the surface, but when we get right down to it, faith works in that it's the same. Abraham received a promise from the book from God in the book of Genesis, if you don't know the story, that, his na- that he was going to be a great nation. That his family was going to be as many as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. His family was going to be large. It was just one problem. He didn't have a family. He had a wife, but there was nothing to produce farther down the line. And so that was a little bit problematic. But God showed up and, and 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 gave him a son. Now he was old when he had a son, and uh and so he had this son, so this son of promise, Isaac, and he had done some things trying to make, make it happen um and, 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 and really showed some faithlessness and there was some other stuff he did all through his, his life. Um, that, that was really rough and it was it was it was a struggle, but again, he always struggled up. Some bad stuff. Like even tried to give his wife away, save his own skin. I'm sure you heard about that. Every fight they had. And so he he is he's got this he's got this tension there. But the one the one final thing he did was that that God says, I want you to take that son and I want you to to sacrifice him, like literally sacrifice him. I want you to take him onto Mount Moriah. And I want you to plunge a knife into his chest as a sacrifice and an honor to me. Which puts a problem in the whole, it's going to be this great thing. But you know what Abraham did? Took his son, says he bound him. They went up They went up to the mountain. Son kept, you know, Isaac was asking, like any kid will do, well, where's the sacrifice in the head? And, you know, sheepishly, I'm sure he said that, that the Lord will provide, and I'm sure he's very sheepish about this because he's about to plunge a knife into his son's chest. It's interesting because Hebrews tells us that it tells us what Abraham was thinking. Abraham thought that he would raise him from the dead. That's like big league faith right there, right? I'm going to plunge this knife into my son's chest and God is going to God's going to raise him from the dead. Like he already went like so far like he, in his mind he had already done it. Like he didn't think about, oh, maybe there'll be a ram in a thicket and God will just speak audibly and say, hey, don't do it. We're good. Or, or an angel will come and say, don't do it. No, 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 you're good. I now know. He didn't think like that. He was like, I'm just going to do it and God's going to raise him from the dead. That's big league faith. Guess what happened after that day? Abraham was a top shelf dude after that day. He didn't have any of those mess ups he had last because he exercised massive faith in that moment. It took a ton to get there but he finally did it, he was able to do it. That's the example of this, he's showing that, 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 that faith made him go so far that he was willing to do this, he was gonna show God, this is, how, this is how invested I am in you, that I'm gonna take this knife and I'm gonna plunge it into my son's chest, I can't fathom, we can't dehumanize these people, I can't fathom what that would have been like. That's a hard no for me, man, I'll be honest with you, that's a hard no. And so he he's there and he says that it's amazing because he left his old habits. That's what he says, that that, that he was complete after that day. In your scripture, he was complete that, that he, had, he had progressed into a whole new level of faith after that day, man. But then he he brings in Rahab. If you don't know the story of Rahab, she was living in the city of Jericho, she lived on the wall. And God was going to give them this city, but there was a problem. They had to go take this city. And they didn't know how they were going to do it. They really hadn't figured that out yet. God had not really revealed that. And so they sent spies in. These spies went into the city, but it didn't take long that people realized, like, we don't recognize these guys. It wasn't like a huge culture back then. We don't recognize these cats. What are they doing? So they're on the run kind of in the city, and they run into Rahab. And Rahab takes them in because she had heard of God. In fact, she had some belief in God, it seems. She takes them in and she hides them and then she allows them to go off in another direction and when the other people come and say, hey, Rahab, we heard that there's some the strangers came here because, you know, your profession. And she says, uh, she says, nah, man, they went the other way. I don't know where they went. Sends them off. And it says that God counted that as righteousness for her. I mean, she lied. That was her big, that was her big contribution to the cause was lying. But you know what God did? Counted it righteousness. Why? Because she was, she was acting out of faith the best she knew how. Nobody told her that lying was wrong. That was the best she knew. And she, by faith, she did it. She hid those guys. She said, because I mean, here's the deal, she, she's a prostitute. You don't get there by accident, right? No little girl wants to grow up and do that for a living. You don't get there by accident. So what's her, what, in her thinking, there's got to be the tension that even if these new guys come in, her old life still will be the same. They can still do the same thing. So she really is acting in faith here that, 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 that God's going to be better, I hope. So she leans into faith there. Wasn't the most spiritual way of doing things, but God counted to her as Faith, it tells us. It was an imperfect faith, but it was still coming from a heart of faith. She did something. And James finishes up by saying this: As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James' argument is your life has to do something. There has to be something there. Something. Even if it's just, even if it looks like Rahab. Something. It doesn't just talk. It doesn't just say, I told you that this passage was controversial, and you might have caught it there, and it, it, it might have reminded you of what Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He says that you have to have faith um, in, in order you know, to be justified. There, that, That's what it seems like. But he says, but Paul says this, for by grace are you saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. And so we kind of feel like there's this tension that James is saying this over here, but Paul is saying this over here. How can they they do that? And we kind of see Paul and, and James kind of facing off. But I don't think they are. I don't think they're fighting each other. I think they're turned back to back, fighting thoughts that prevail. There are people who think that you need to do something in order to be saved. You need to be a certain way. There's people like that. They, they'll tell you they can't come to church because they don't have the right clothes. That's a works-based mentality. Well, I can't go there because I've done this or I did this Saturday night. I'm not gonna stroll into church. We're like that, I'll be honest with you. If I've, if I've done something or I've, done, I've, I've, I've had something and I sit down to, to read the Bible or something, I feel like I can not or I won't even sit down to do it. Well, that's a works-based mentality that I can't talk to God if I've done this. It's a workspace, it's deep inside me, man. It's hard to wrench that out. So there's people like me and people like that, but then there's also these other people who just kind of flitter about that that they believe, that they love God, and they love it, and they they, they believe, and that's what they do. And that there's nothing there that shows anything. Nothing. So there's a little bit of contradiction there, but that's, that's what it's like, because both of these things are prevalent in the church and I think they're fighting them together I don't think they're I don't think they're they're in opposition with each other I think they're fighting two common thoughts and so for our purposes here today saying you're a Christian and having absolutely nothing in our life just points to dead faith you're just talking and it's easy to do especially if you grew up in church Biggest testimonies of my life, as we finish, biggest testimony of my life that I hear, like like in in uh, like like baptisms or something like that. You'll hear people, and I mean, when, when they say something like, "Oh, I was an addict for for however many years, and and, and you know I reached the bottom, and God saved me," I, you know, that, that's amazing, and they're fantastic testimonies of the fact that God can save anybody. And, and we look at that, and that's that's fantastic. But at the end of the day, you kind of expect it. Like they hit rock bottom, they got nowhere else to go, and they they come to God. So it's it's kind of like. Yeah, that seems like a logical thing to do, man. Get rid of all that stuff and come to God. But the biggest testimonies to me that I hear are, I grew up in church and I grew up in church, I grew up in a Christian home, and then God showed me that I wasn't saved because it's easy to do. I'm not advocating that we don't teach our kids the Bible. Give me a break. I absolutely think we do, but, but, but they need to see a living faith at home. They need to see a faith that works at home. And so I I think this is the biggest people, the biggest people I see. When when I hear that in a a testimony, that I grew up in church, I was was everything. I went from from nursery to children's ministry to student ministry to adult, and I've been in church my whole life, and then God saved me. Good gravy. That's amazing. Because those people, it would be easy because they know the language. They know how to look the part. They know everything. Just like that movie I just talked about, Catch Me If I Can, they know everything. They know how to look it. They know how to, how to talk like it, but in reality, it's not there. It's nothing. So James is telling us, man, if you claim to have faith, we have to know more than just the truth. Even the, devil, even the demons know the truth. But maybe we have to, to look at our lives in a real look and see, do I love God so much so that it's done something? And what can I point at? Is there something there? It may even look like Rahab. It may be misguided. It may be a little bit little bit messy and a little bit not great. But it's there. It's something. So I'm begging you, man, check your life this morning. Look at it this morning and see if God has done something. I'm going to ask if you don't mind to bow your heads, and I'm going to pray for us this morning. Father, wow, what a, what, a, what a text. I pray that you'll use it to stir our affections for you. Save people this morning who maybe have been in church their whole life, and there's nothing that actually proves that it's sunk in. I'm begging you to do that. I'm so thankful that you saved me. I grew up in a great home. I grew up in a, at a faithful church. And I've been nothing but a part of faithful churches, but yet, still, it's a marvel because I could have just slid into the jargon, I could have slid into anything, and yet you chose to save me and redeem me, and I'm so thankful for that. I pray that you'll encourage people who, even imperfectly, desire to please you today, to love you and to love others. I pray that you'll help them. So I'm begging you, Lord, move in these final moments as we think about your word, as we sing one last song. Move, Lord, in your son's perfect name. Amen.